chapter 3, join us in the New Testament. We've been talking about vision for the last several weeks. Week one, we talked about the need to, to have vision because without vision or one, one version said divine guidance, that we perish and or we, we basically, our lives blow around like a, a woman's hair in the wind blowing back and forth out of control. Then week number two, we talked about the fact that maybe we've got a missing component of our faith and action and uh, that we need to take action steps that, that faith without action is, according to God's word, is actually dead and useless. And we don't want dead, useless faith. We want bold, active faith, right? Okay, that was completely underwhelming, but that's all right. You're still looking for 2 Corinthians. I'm, I'm with you. Last week, we talked about how we need to stop having blurry vision. There's things that cause blurry vision. And um, because we need to have a clear vision, not only of who God is and what he wants for us, but a clear vision for our lives. And because without a vision, we will, as human beings, keep doing what we've always been doing. And even worse, we fool ourselves with words like hope. Well, I hope it's a better year. I hope it's going to get uh, better. I hope I'm going to lose some weight. I hope my marriage is going to get fixed. I hope my kids uh, don't run off and do stupid stuff. Well, hope is not a strategy. Okay? You can put your hope in Jesus Christ, but for you, you need a strategy. You need a, an intentional plan, an intentional vision for what am I going to do this year? Because if you don't encapsulate it and write it down and actually have some steps, you won't do it. That's why people make money off of us every year, right after the beginning of the year, right? Hey, you know, you want to go to Planet Fitness, and it's just 10 cents, and it's only $10 a month, but guess what? It does, it, people aren't getting fat because it costs too much. It's because we're undisciplined slobs. That's why. We've got plenty of money. You're spending 10 bucks on food. And I'm not calling you fat this morning. But if we're not careful, our undisciplined lives where we just get in a routine and we just do what we've always been doing because that's what we've been doing and because that's the easiest thing to do is to keep doing what you've always been doing. But then when you realize, I'm not growing, I'm not getting anywhere, it doesn't seem like God's listening, nothing's changing. The reason nothing's changing is because nothing's changing. You have to be part of the process, and we're going to talk about that this morning, and, and like I said, I, I've taken off the, the borders. I'm, I'm not intending to be mean at all, and I'm trying to be uh, as nice as I can be, but I'm just going to read the scripture to you this morning, and it's full of some stuff that's going to maybe step on your toes or maybe poke you a little bit. It's not going to poke you in the eye, but it's going to poke you a little bit about, hmm, wow, I've got some things to adjust. I've got some things to fix. I've got... Uh, a little bit of stuff I got to deal with because this portion of scripture, uh, Paul, who is a, a person that hated Christians and hated Christ until he had an encounter with him. And so if, if you're here this morning and you're like, I'm not so sure about all this Jesus stuff, great, Paul was there at, at one time too. 
And all of a sudden, the power of Jesus got a hold of him, and he became one of the greatest and most prolific people of God that there ever was. He wrote three-quarters of the New Testament. And he had a complete life-changing moment. But it didn't just stop at the life-changing moment. Action, occasion, he constantly referred to himself as, A, he remembered who he was, he was a chief of sinners, but he was also a slave to God. That he decided, God, you're the one that gets to say where I go, what I do, when I do it. If you want me dead, I'll be dead. If you want me alive, I'll be alive. You want me to be alone, I'll be alone. You want me to be provided for, I'll be provided for. Whatever you say goes. And that's incredible, but that's also scary. And that's what I'm saying. I I get it. We've got to have that process of maybe we just start surrendering little bits and pieces. Like maybe some of you this morning, your action step is say, Lord, here's my finances. Lord, here's my sex life. Lord, here's my bad habits that I'm hiding from. Here's, I'm not talking about some radical throw everything into the wind. I'm talking about a systematic approach to God, you want all of me, but right now I'm unprepared and and even unwilling to give you all of me. So here's, you got to fill in that blank of what you know has been a holdout for you. Maybe it's your time. I don't know. So here's Paul, and he's speaking to a church People just like you, and it's amazing. If you really want to read how crazy that things come full cycle, read Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, because stuff that's happening back then is what I see happening in the world and in the church right now as well, that people are still people, and we don't change much over time. We just change fashion and clothes and our hairdos and what we call stuff, but sin is still sin, God is still God, and God is still good, and so we just have to realize that we haven't changed that much. We think we've evolved. We just play with computers, but that doesn't make us highly evolved people. We still have most of the same mess we're dealing with that they were dealing with back here before there was even electricity. So if you'll join me, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to go verses 12 through 18. We're going to jump a little bit here as we follow this thread. Now, he has just been talking about how Christ has come, and he has been in glory, and we've brought this new covenant, and the new covenant is his grace through his blood that he has forgiven us, and that that if you want to understand this type of glory, that we have to be people that determine to take off the veil of our lives. Now, for those of you who don't know, a veil, in traditional sense, is a garment or a piece of fabric that hangs uh, and covers your face, okay? And they'll make a reference sometime during this, this quote about Moses wearing a veil. And it, was, it wasn't traditional for men to wear veils. It's never been traditional for men to wear veils. But there was a specific purpose, and I'll try to explain that when the time comes. But a veil becomes a, a barrier, and then you think about a bigger veil, which was in the, back in the days of the old tabernacle that was being built, that there were three parts of the tabernacle. There was the outer court where everybody was, and then they'd have to come in through a gate, and then they were in the inner court, and this is where sacrifice happened. Sacrifice and cleansing. They had a big, uh, big barbecue, uh, a bronze altar. They would sacrifice animals, and then after they got done with all that mess, then they would go to a laver, which was like, Uh, uh, a looking glass mirror full of of water that they could see where the goo and the grisly blood and stuff was and wash themselves off before going into the next place, which was the holy place that had 
the representation of an altar and a table of what they called showbread and then the lampstand, which talked about the fellowship and praise before God. And then at the back of that, where it looked like the room ended, it didn't end, there was a very thick curtain that was actually called a veil. And that veil was put there to separate the holy place from what the Jews called the most holy place or the holy of holies. Sounds pretty important, doesn't it? The holy of holies. But it's this big, thick fabric curtain that served a purpose. And that purpose was so we wouldn't die. Because behind that curtain was the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, where God's tangible, visible, sensible presence would actually come down, and only one person got to go in. And see, that's, that's just like our modern progression today. And so I want to lay a little bit of Old Testament history on you before we get to this point so you get it. Outer court is everybody. Everybody in the world is in the outer court, you and me. But then if we make a decision to follow Jesus, we step into the inner court. We've separated ourselves from everybody. That's why we're called people. And we come into a place where there's this recurrence of sacrifice and cleansing. But he also invites us to come to the next place so that after you've done the sacrifices of cleansing, that there is fellowship, there is a relationship built where you eat together and His Word is illuminated, His Spirit is illuminated, and there's some praise and there's some worship going on so that we build this relationship. But the best part, the part that's the the climax of all this is not to stop at worship, but to go behind the veil into the presence of God. And those numbers dwindled from all to those that had a sacrifice to a few to On that day, one that would go behind the veil. But then we see with the life and sacrifice of Jesus Christ that on the cross that veil was torn and it it gave every human being access to what only used to be available to one and only one time a year. Now we have constant and daily access whenever we wanted to go into the most holy place to visit with the omnipresent, all-powerful God. So there's the veil has been taken care of by God. And if you go back and you read your history, it's not in the, in the Bible because they just give a kind of a casual demonstration of this, but the reality was the big surprise when that veil ripped, there was no Ark of the Covenant. It had been captured decades ago, and there was no presence of God. There was just a veil. There's just the mystique. There was just the smoke and mirrors. And and why I share that is this. Maybe some of you grew up with that is, I don't know what this God is. I see all these people get riled up, and they go to church, and they, but you know, I, I've never sensed that. I've never met God face to face. I've never, now my question to you is this, do you want to? Because access has been granted. And you may or may not find it at church. Where you find it is where you hunger for it, wherever that may be, because God is everywhere. He's not just at church. We don't have a little room back here where that's where the presence of God is. Because a switch was made from going to temple to you being the temple. 
Did you know that? You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He said, I never wanted to be in a physical building. I didn't ask for the temple. You guys thought of that. I didn't think of that. I'm just happy being me. I can be anywhere, but I want to be in you. And so if you hunger for it, guess what? He'll be in you. But if you think you got to do something, go someplace, the biggest qualifier is, do you really want and hunger for the presence of God? Because the veil has been removed by Him. But we're also going to see this morning that we have a tendency as human beings to continue to put up veils. And so I want to speak to that this morning. Are you ready? Here's what the Bible says. He's like, verse 12, he says, Therefore, all this stuff about God's glory and who He is and all that stuff, he says, since we have such hope, since we have such hope in God and in His glory, we use great boldness of speech. Now, in a world today, we see that all over the place, and we, we think that somehow that makes somebody strong when they're just charismatic and bold, and they throw caution to the wind, and there's no respect. That's, that's not what Paul's doing here. What he's saying is this, I'm, my bold speech is going to be plain. My bold speech is not going to be full of religion. My bold speech is going to be full of God and His Word. That's what makes it bold. And my hope is that that's what you hear this morning. This is what he says. We're going to use great boldness of speech. We're not going to pull any punches and try to ease you into it. Here's what he says. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Now, if you caught that midstream, you're like, what was passing away? Moses, at one point, was so hungry for God that he said, God, I don't want to go if you're not going to go with us. I want to see your face. And God told him straight out, if you look upon me and my glory, it will kill you because no flesh can stand in God's presence. But because you've asked for it, I'm going to do something incredible for you. I want you to stand in that little cleft, that little hole in the rock, and I'm going to cover you with my hand as I come. And as I pass by, when I'm on my way, my quote, my retreating glory, I will remove my hand and you'll see just the back part of my glory. Not the radiant, destroy you glory, but the, oh my God, glory. Right? Who he does that for him. And what happens is he comes down from the mountain and he's glowing just from the retreating. I mean, he's literally, people are like, that's like the glory of God, dude. Cover it up. Come on. And so he realizes it makes everybody uncomfortable. And I'm going to tell you right here. Here's my boldness of speech. When you get in the presence of God and you don't care what people think because you're so full of God, you'll make people uncomfortable. And they'll want you to tone it down. And they'll want you to be quiet about it. And they'll make you want to be complacent. And can you put like, can you, come on, dude. And they'll encourage you. They're not going to say these words. What they're saying is, would you put a veil on that? You want to cover that up? You know, you're up in my business and all this Jesus stuff, and just put a veil on that. Take it down a notch, man. Verse 14. But their minds were blinded. The real word means their minds were covered. Their minds couldn't see what Moses was describing. And even to that church in Corinth, their minds weren't seeing what Paul was trying to describe either. And I'll be bold enough to say to some of you this morning, 
you haven't seen it either. You know what it is to go to church. You maybe have got a Bible. Maybe you've downloaded an app. Maybe you've gone through some motions. But you've never really had an encounter with Jesus Christ. You found religion. You found a church building. But until you've seen and experienced what some of us have seen and experienced, you don't get it. You're, you're, you're the ones that are saying, man, they make me uncomfortable. And I'm not talking about weird snake handling, poison drinking Christians. Those are like, ooh. He never tells us to handle snakes. He says, if it happens, right? Best way to handle snakes is with machete, right? Okay? Best way to handle poison is don't play with it. Don't touch it. And certainly don't drink it. Duh, God gave us brains. But their minds were blinded. Listen, for until this day, today, until even when Paul was reading, for until this day, the same veil remains. Now he's speaking of something that we are completely separated from because we don't live there. But I'll tell you what, you go with your, I'm also full of Jesus over to the Middle East. You're going to face a whole different kind of attitude than dude tone it down. You're going to face the heretic, let's kill him. Because those same Jews are still waiting for the Messiah because they have been blinded. They could not see that Jesus was the Messiah. That's why they killed him, because he didn't look and sound like what they wanted him to look and sound like. And maybe that's your problem this morning. Jesus hasn't showed up how you wanted him to show up, when you wanted him to show up, and he certainly didn't say the things you wanted to hear. He said some crazy things like, repent and be saved. Get baptized. Commit your way to the Lord. These crazy things. Instead of, dude, it's okay. I mean, now listen. I understand the premise of what I'm about to say. And some of you, you've seen it on signs, you've heard it from someplace, but it's a step process. And here's what people would say. It's okay. Just, just come as you are. Dude, it's okay, just come as you are. Jesus says, come as you are, and then I'm going to radically begin to weed stuff out of your life. Come as you are. You don't have to dress up. You don't have to be perfect. Don't even try to be a better person because you can't be a better person without me. Come as you are, but then you better be ready for a radical set of changes that's going to happen throughout the rest of your life because if you just want the, I just get to be me, you're never going to experience Jesus. You might experience some religion and you might hang around some church folks, but you're never going to have the radical, life-changing, I'm a new creation person <laughs> that at least I've had. And there's no mistake of who I was before and who I am. I've never forgotten who I was. But until Christ really got a hold of me and until I really made the decision, I want to see him and experience him, I was in church before I was saved. I carried a Bible before I understood what it meant, and that didn't make me a Christian. You know what makes you a Christian? Surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Not attending a church, not reading the Bible, surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Blank check. There you go. Now, we don't understand what all that means when you first get saved. I didn't. <laughs> but when I made that decision, I meant it. And he's kept asking for things. Not to take, but to tweak it. So that I am who he wants me to be instead of him being who you want him to be. 
See, that's the American version. I want Jesus to be who I want him to be. I want him to be the nice, meek, mild, uh, conservative, uh, Republican Jesus. I want him to be the fiery, everybody's going to hell that doesn't believe like me, Jesus. I want him to be the I love everybody regardless of their sin and whether they dabble in this or that or their gender preferences or blah, 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 blah. None of that stuff matters to him. He can cancel it all by the blood of Jesus Christ, but he doesn't want you to stay there. See, that's the problem is we're like, that's cool. He, he, no, it's not cool. It's sin. And he's come to eradicate that because he doesn't want us bound to it. So this is what he's saying. That veil remains when they read the Old Testament. I don't want to hear the prophecy to Jesus Christ because it's not Jesus Christ. It's some Messiah someplace. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. Who takes away the veil? Christ. We don't take away the veil. We don't get more enlightened. Christ took care of the veil. He parted it so that we would have access and our minds would be open. But guess what? You can say, uh, we need to put those curtains back together. Because when you open up the curtains and you see who I really am, uh, can you close the curtains? And I don't want to traumatize you with this image this morning, but I want you to get it as, as it would really mean. It means that Jesus comes storming into your house when you're in the shower and pulls back the shower curtain and goes, I see you. How do you respond? We try to cover up, right? Now imagine that in the spiritual sense. That's what Jesus wants to do. And then he still says, yep, I still choose you. But we got to fix this. And it's a process. And you keep hopping back behind the curtain because you think somehow, well, just give me a minute to get ready. He doesn't need you ready. What he needs you ready to be is devoted to him. That veil is taken away by Christ. Verse 15, but even to this day, he keeps saying that because it means, hey, people still aren't getting it. When Moses is read, and we're reading stuff about Moses, a veil lies on their hearts. So first of all, he's talking about their minds were blinded, and now he says, guess what? Not only that, but their hearts were veiled. There's a covering on it that won't receive what Christ has done. Verse 16, he brings the hope. Nevertheless, when one, just one, turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You want to know why you got veils? You haven't really turned to the Lord. You turn to the church, you turn to a friend, you turn to religion. But when you turn to the Lord, now we're going to get just a little bit deep for just a minute. When I see the word Lord, I mean the word Lord, I don't mean a religious reference to God. I mean, Lord means master, which means I say, you do. When you get to that point and you say, Lord, you say, I do, the veil is taken away. As long as you have the American version of me say, you do, that's not Lord. Got it? This is simple this morning, right? But it's making you uncomfortable, isn't it? Good. Because I love you. And God loves you. And he expects more of his church than to be, I'll tell you what to do and you do it. That was never the agreement. 
never have been. The veil is taken away by the Lord. He's the only one that can do it. Not more reading, not more education, not even going to some religious school. Only God can take away the veil. Verse 17, why is this so important? The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You want freedom in your life? It doesn't come from come as you are. Freedom in your life comes from surrendering to Jesus Christ. That's where true liberty comes then. It means, guess what? Not I get to do whatever I want, but he's given me everything I need for life and grace to live and move and breathe and have our way in him. That's true liberty. See, what we've been sold, if you're not careful and you just entertain a church, you've been sold a religious bondage that you've got to be here in this place. You've got to read so much and do so much. Now, all that's great, but you can do all that without being free in Christ. I want us free in Christ because when we're free in Christ, the little thing he asks from us will be nothing compared to what he's already done for us. And that's one of the ways I can really determine if somebody's true about their religion or their faith or whether they're following some pattern, is to say, hey, we need you to do this. Ah, you know what? I'm not sure I've got time for that. Okay? A little immaturity there. I, I get it. But you keep pressing about places in their life that they need to change, and you keep getting pushed back. You know what that means? Unrepentant heart. That means, hmm, something's still in there that's fighting to be the one that gets to tell God what he gets to do and what he doesn't get to do. And that's not a saved life. Now, you can look all this up. Find in the scriptures where anywhere where we get to tell him what we want him to do. He doesn't exist. But I'll tell you what, telling him what we want him to do, that's not even prayer. Prayer is asking God to move on our behalf. But the arrogance of us thinking we can tell him, whew, we better be real careful. He wants us to be free, true freedom. The type of freedom that Paul had, that when he says go here, he's like, on my way. The type of things when he said, hey, I know they knocked you unconscious with rocks and were trying to kill you, but I want you to get up and go into a new city. Okay. The type of freedom that when he says, you're going to face all kinds of things, I'm going to be with you in the storm, and I'm going to tell you that nobody's going to die, and I'm going to tell you how this is going to work, just tell them how to do it, okay, this is what I want you to do with your money, this is what I want you to do with your life, this is what I want you to do with this, this is what, and he says, okay, that's the type of freedom that he wants for us, where we're not worried about anything else or some outside venture trying to harm us, we're just like, if God says to do it. He's got me. He's got my life. He's got my future. He's got my now. He's got my faith. He's got my body. He's got everything. And he would never ask me to do something that would be hard for me or harmful to me. He may ask you to do something that's hard for you, but not harmful. And so if you're sitting here this morning with some soft spots that you know, hey, you know what you're still watching that you need to stop watching. You know you're still living together. You know you haven't given your money to Jesus. You know you're still cheating on this and that and who and her and him and, and all that stuff. You know you've got bondages and addictions that you're still, uh, give it up this morning and find the liberty that Jesus Christ has for you. Because now you think you're in liberty, but you're in bondage. Liberty is not being able to do whatever you want to do with whoever you want to do it, whenever you want it. That's not, that's not liberty, it's bondage. Because it only ends in one place. 
That's destruction and loneliness. Verse 18, but we all, that's all of us, those that would understand that the veil has been removed, but we all, with, notice this, with an unveiled face, I want to see God without any barriers. We're beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now, what do you see in a mirror? We talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? When I look in the mirror, I have the opportunity to see me, but when we take the veil off, when we look in the mirror, we should see the image of God. Think about that. Now, does that not boost your confidence this morning? When you look in the mirror and you're like, hello, God. Because God is in us. The part that counts, not this external flesh, the part that counts, the spirit part, the eternal part, that's the image of God. And we spend too much time worrying about what's in the mirror that's all this on the outside, and we neglect the part on the inside that's truly the image of God. But he says, look it, we're being transformed. Remember when I told you that it's a step process? Come as you are, and then what happens? We're being transformed. Think of a, a caterpillar that goes into a cocoon, and then one day emerges on the other side looking completely different. It does not bear any resemblance to that little crawling, wiggly worm. Church, if you fell asleep, this is the time to wake up. God is in the transformation business. He does not want to leave you as you were or even as you are. He's in the transformation business. Until he comes back and we fly away, as the old song used to say, we're in the transformation process. You don't get to be stagnant. You don't get to do it because as soon as you get stagnant, what you're saying is I'm putting the veil back up because I'm kind of tired of the transformation. You're asking too much. You're asking too far. You're asking too often. You're asking too... Put the veil back up, please. I'll just do my routine. My, I'll try to make it on Sunday if I can. That's not a transformed life. Here's what he says. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Guess what? He wants to reveal his glory in you and on you, and it keeps going. Guess what? The more you're transformed, the more glory. Right? just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You need the Spirit of the Lord. Now, I know this is pointed this morning, but listen, this isn't me telling you. This is Paul, right? Are you reading the Scriptures? Hopefully you're reading this with me. He's telling this to the church. He's not telling this to the world. He's telling us we need to be transformed. You've got to stop looking like the world. You've got to stop acting like the world. You've got to stop making decisions that look like the world. Get your vision cleared up and take the veil off because you're not seeing clearly, or you're hiding behind it. Now let's switch real quick to chapter 4. It should just be the very next step there. Knowing all of this, that's the therefore, right? Since we have this ministry, and you're like, I missed something. What's this ministry? Hang on. We'll get to it. Since now we've been transformed, now we have ministry, as we have received mercy, we will not lose heart. Don't lose heart when he wants to change you. Don't lose heart when things change around you. Don't lose heart when we have an election. Don't lose heart when some new bill gets passed. Don't lose heart when things don't seem to be going right in your world, in your family, in your money. We don't lose heart because Jesus is at the center of all of this. 
And when we surrender it to him, he knows how to make it work. But if you're waiting for somebody somewhere to do something, you're in trouble. We have, here's the power word for this morning. Verse 2, we have renounced the hidden things of shame. Now I want you to know, maybe you don't have never used this word, but you need to get to this point. Renounced, it doesn't matter the Greek, it's a Greek word. But what it really means is this is a compound word of me saying, I am done with that. Not I'm tired of that, or I shouldn't be doing that, or I hope I don't get caught doing that. Renounced means I make a de declaration. It's actually speaking. It's not just thinking. It's actually speaking, saying, so that I'm held accountable. I'm done with that. Have you ever told somebody, say, this is why we have to have confession with one another. You ever told somebody something you're dealing with? And now that you've told them, you feel a sense of, ooh, they're going to watch me now. Okay? Now, I know you look at me this morning and think, not all his lights are on. I get that. I, I don't look very smart. But how we started this morning and we talked about connectedness, that's one of the main reasons the church in America is failing. We choose to live isolated, disconnected lives where nobody holds us accountable, even pastors. We choose to live separated, dry, uh, scattered bones lives, hoping that somehow this mighty work of God is going to come and bring us all together. You know what the mighty work of God is? Transformation day by day. Power of the Spirit day by day. Growing up day by day. Making a commitment to Christ day by day. That's the transformation where he says, you know what? We have to make a decision. I'm done with that. What things should we be done with? Look what he says. The hidden things of shame. The things you know you shouldn't be doing. The stuff we all do that we know we shouldn't be doing. And instead of feeling bad about doing it, how, come, how about we step up and we tell God and we find some other person who holds the camera and say, you know what? I'm done with that. Because when I walk in that, I find myself back in bondage. When I think like that, I find myself back in bondage. When I do that, I find myself guilty and in shame, and God doesn't want us to be shamed and condemned. He wants us free. That's what he says. He's going to ramp it up. Not only denouncing the hidden things of shame, but not walking in craftiness, right? That means... Faking it. That means, hey, everything's good with me. I put my good clothes on today. Hey, I showed up at church today, and you're dying on the inside, and there's no Jesus life inside of you. That's craftiness. Goes on. Or handling the Word of God deceitfully. Now, this is the part where it's going to step on your toes if it hasn't been there already. When you think that God's word, because of grace, allows you to keep sinning and not fixing it, you're handling the word of God deceitfully. When you think that God looks at your sin and goes, oh, isn't that cute? You're handling the word of God deceitfully. When you think that it's okay to not read God's word, you're handling God's word deceitfully. It was not meant for that. It was meant to be a mirror that reflects that we need transformation. 
I know it's getting tight. Just hang on. Don't handle the word of God deceitfully. Why? He is the word. Go back and read John. But by manifestation of the truth, real truth, we're commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You know what this means? That's a big mouthful of like lawyer terms where he says this. But because God is transforming us, I can now stand and look face to face with people and realize I'm not perfect, but God is changing me. I can commend myself, not because I'm a better person, but because working, God's working in me, and he's changing me from glory to glory, and someday I hope to be the son or the daughter he wants me to be. We're not any better, but we're definitely not going to say, well, it's okay for me to dabble in this because, no. He's saying that we are having a manifestation of truth, and I'm going to commend myself to say, you know what, it's my job to not get in on anybody's conscience. It's not my job to give God a bad name or the church a bad name or any other Christians a bad name and hurt their conscience. It's my job to be the transformed person that God wants me to be. Verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, even if you don't hear what I'm saying this morning, and some of you, you've already turned it off. I get it. That veil went, bloop. He doesn't understand, Bob. It's veiled to those who are perishing. Now, this is how awesome this is. When we shared about those that have no vision, that there are people that perish, and I said that word perishing is what? We often think, oh, it's dead. The word perish means erratic living. Back and forth, blown out of control. You know what he says? When you have a veiled gospel, you know how we know that you have a veiled gospel in your life? Your life blows back and forth, and you are out of control. Nobody restrains you. You think you're restraining you, but the drugs restrain you. You think you restrain you, but that habit or whatever it may be, you're blowing back and forth, and the rest of us see your hair moving in the breeze. Your life is back and forth and up and down. That's what he's saying right here. It's not that all of a sudden you just die, but what he's saying is when you live a veiled gospel life, you're blowing back and forth. You're a person that's unstable. You are unrestrained. You won't accept God's guidance. You're not even listening now. Verse 4, look at this. Your God <laughs> is the God of this age. Logical thinking, reasoning, cultural input. And it has blinded your mind. Who do not believe. Who's he talking to? The church. By your lifestyles, it shows that you do not believe. Because if you did believe, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, would shine on you. And you would be changed. But it's easier to put the veil back up. It's easier to pretend. Jump to, ver to chapter 5 with me and we're wrapping it up, I promise. Therefore, knowing all of this, from now on, we're going to regard no one according to the flesh. This is the beauty of Jesus Christ. 
It doesn't matter what you've been doing. It doesn't matter where you've been. If you'll allow the transformative power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to come into your life, then he says, hey, I'm not going to regard you like that anymore. I'm going to start considering you a son and a daughter, but a son or a daughter that needs work. But I'm not holding your past against you. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> we don't work that way, right? Somebody's done you wrong over and over and over again. The next time you see them, they're like, mm-hmm. I remember you in high school, dude. I remember what we did. I remember what you did. I remember you. Oh, she used to be, you know her? Oh, you remember the nickname we gave her? With Christ, he says, I cancel all that mess. And now you've got a fresh slate, so come on and live it. Now you've got a new life. Come on and live it. Now you've got a hope that's not bound in what you do, but who you believe in. Come on and live it. Even though we have known Christ according to flesh, yet we don't know him this way anymore. His flesh is gone. He's in heaven. Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. You're allowed to come in, but that's when the transformation starts. Why? Look what he says. Old things have passed away. That's the renouncing the old things, right? The hidden things, the shameful things. But if you keep doing it, it's not the old life. It's the current life. Come on, live it. Live the new life. It's not about becoming perfect. He will take care of that. But you just going through the motions is not going to do it. Look at this. He's like Paul speaking, the Paul that punished the church, Paul that killed people, Paul that was dragging men and women away in chains and hated the Christian lifestyle is now saying we can have a new life. He wasn't unaware of this. All things have become new. Verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Remember how chapter 4 started? We now have this ministry. Here's where he lays it down on us. What, how, what's this ministry? He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That means to do the same thing he was doing. You know what that means? Bring people back to him. Your job, your ministry, no matter your gifting, no matter where you've been, no matter how old or how young or how long you've been in the church, your primary, your prime directive is a ministry of reconciliation. Just like Jesus was doing, taking bad people and bringing them to God, that's your job too. This is why all this is so important. Listen, you will never feel like you have the ability to speak to people in sinful situations when you're doing the same thing they're doing. It's hard to take alcohol counseling from a drunk. It's hard to get clean when your friend's an addict. It's hard to take marriage advice from couples that cheat. And when we continually engage in sin, not the stuff that he hasn't convicted you of yet, not all the thou shalt not do, do, do stuff. I'm talking about right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about, that you know. Mm. When we're still doing that, we'll never feel the confidence to share our life with anybody else. You'll never feel confident to share that Jesus has this transforming power when you're still thinking, he hasn't transformed me, but you're part of the solution. You've got to make the decision. I am done with that and allow him to come in and strengthen you. And then you need to find somebody that you tell that to so that person can lovingly walk through that with you. 
That's why we're the body of Christ. Look what he says. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. And now we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. Why? Because he said, if I can do it in you, then you can do it in somebody else. If you know what it's like to be transformed by God, then somebody else needs to know what it's like to be transformed by God. And nobody is out of the account. Anybody, the worst rotten person you know, has the ability to be transformed by Jesus Christ. Because he took away your sin and my sin and everybody's sin, and there's no sin that he can't overcome. The question is, will you walk in that transformative power? Now listen, this is how hard it is and how simple it is. I am not a perfect person. I know you're not surprised. But I can stand up here with full assurance knowing I'm not a perfect person and still read and preach his perfect word because his perfect word brings liberty. So it's not that I have somehow attained the ultimate and if you people would just stop being sinners like I've stopped being a sinner. It's none of that at all. I still mess up. But I've got the power of Christ that when I fall down, I get back up and I try not to make that mistake again. And there's some stuff in my life I just had to say, I'm done with that. Some he just took away, and some, I have to make the decision, I'm done with that. I'm done with those people that keep dragging me down. I'm done with that behavior that makes me feel guilty. I'm done with that drug. I'm done with those pills. I'm done with that feeling like a victim. I'm done rehearsing my past where it's nothing but a bunch of junk. I'm going to be a new person and start today. Come on, you can live that life. You want that life. I hope you want that life. If not, fast forward your life to 20 years. What will it be like? I'm still arguing with my husband, and we never get along, and I wish I would have divorced him. Wow, that's a transformed man. That's a life-giving life. Yeah, 20 years ago, I started using drugs. I'm still using drugs. You know, I've tapered down. I'm only using... I only steal when... Is that, is that the life? Is that the legacy is that the light you want to shine, or do you want a light that's like, dude, I remember you. You were like the guy everybody made fun of. You were the dude that couldn't handle his life. We figured you'd be dead by now. Look at you. Married. Kids. A job. A church. A ministry. What? I'm that guy. You're that guy. You're that girl. I'm nothing special. Neither was Paul. He was just a man that took God at his word. And that's what I'm asking from you this morning. Is allow the transformation to start taking place. Take the veil off. The place that you don't want to look into your life, it's time to take the veil off. The place that you keep hidden from God, it's time to take the veil off. Where your mind has been blinded, it's time to take the veil. It's not that you're not smart enough. You just don't want to see. <laughs> and your heart doesn't want to feel the sense of weight of its shame and its sin. But Jesus Christ cleanses all that and you can be made new this morning without the guilt, without the shame, without the burden, without the past. He'll stop it today.